0: The doctrine of the Trinity is fundamental to the Christian faith, but have you considered how it impacts the whole world? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill.
1: And I'm Joshua Horn.
0: So Romans one twenty says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. If the whole world shows the nature of the Godhead, how does that work out in how the world works?
2: I mean, for the purpose of what we're doing with this podcast, you have to start by saying, well, what exactly is your doctrine of God? If the whole world is expressing it, then it makes sense that you you really need to have good theology and, and on really basic things like who is God? What is God? How, what's God structured as? Because in some sense or other, the world in which you live and you yourself are reflections of the nature of God. And so, you know, we want to talk about the Trinity tonight. We want to talk about the threeness and the oneness of God and all of the complexity of that. And then, you know, and just, we should just, uh, if if we really believe Romans one twenty. Then we should approach the world with an expectation of i'm going to see things in the world that tell me about god and that when i open my bible and i learn things about god that that should affect what i see in the world or how i see things in the world because the more i understand about god the more i'm going to understand the world that he's made
3: and i do think it's really important because i mean if you see people do something they start some they start some enterprise they start a business they start they're going to do some project a lot of times you'll hear them say you know we've done this before and one of the things we realized is we needed to get back to the fundamentals we needed to really decide what we were trying to accomplish here cuz what if we get this core principle settled it'll impact everything we do in the future and there's this part of it where i mean the trinity a lot of people just view the trinity as just this this doctrine that really doesn't impact anything but like Jonathan was saying, it's – it's and you're reading the verse here – it's central to who God is. And the, and we understand the idea that if something is central to who you are, it gets expressed. And so it's really bad when the church looks at this doctrine and goes, well, it's just this neat little doctrine that we have to uphold. And they – I mean – and there's another part of it too because I think one of the principles is, is that the Trinity is unique. And so there's – sometimes people try to say, well, the Trinity is like, is like a father. And they're like – No, the Trinity is more complex than a father. And the Trinity is like this. No, no. And so you can't compare anything to the Trinity and say, this is exactly like the Trinity. But the reverse isn't true. The fact that the Trinity exists, it does impact everything and it does ripple out. And so I think it's really important to see this doctrine and understand that it really does shape the world.
0: And, you know, we've talked or, you know, there's the idea, you call it the three and one. But, you know, the idea of unity and diversity having been around for a long time, like in the computer industry, which is my industry, I keep watching people thrash, right? Because what they do at first, what they did to begin with, is they said everything should be on a mainframe, that you should have one computer that you put everything on. And then they went, everything should be on a desktop. And then they went, everything needs to be on a centralized server. Everything, right? And now they're swinging back and they're swinging to a cloud. But it's still the same idea as they're not thinking and saying, that there's a place for diversity and there's a place for unity and that they should be balanced between the two. And if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity that both things have to exist at the same time, it actually applies in really, really practical ways because I've just seen the industry over the last 50 years just thrash back and forth because it can't. It wants to either go to unity or it wants to go to diversity and it can't find that point in between where both of them are represented.
3: And you see it happen everywhere. Like you see it happen with phone companies. Right. They'll come out and they'll say, you know, they'll have a plan and then they'll say, well, we need to add more plans to it. And then they have, you know, and then you get 10 years on the road and they have 500 different plans. And then someone comes in and goes, we have too many plans. We need to create one plan for everybody. And then they strip away all the plans and they boil it back down and they go, this one plan doesn't fit everybody. And then they just go through the process again of doing exactly what you're talking about. They keep swinging back and forth between the two. And in the Godhead, there's no tension. In the Godhead, there's no tension between unity and, unity and diversity, in the sense that it it's all it all works in harmony. But in the world, because man is always trying to deal with its own sin, with her own inability to you know to, to handle these things, we since there's much more of a tension when we deal with these things.
0: And I think it's much more because people aren't thinking how these two should work together, and so they always want to go to one extreme or the other. They don't want to say that these things should be you yeah, should be harmonized together, that both of these things should exist. But God actually designed the world so that these things are everywhere, right? That right. the two exist where you have unity and diversity everywhere. And so even in business, though, in a very practical way, like you consider Ray Kroc, who founded McDonald's. Before McDonald's, basically every restaurant was completely different, right? There weren't such things as chains. There weren't franchises. And then he comes along and what he says is, I'm going to make them all identical. And he had his plan for what every McDonald's would look like. And every single McDonald's was the same. And then they went, wait a second, but Williamsburg won't let us put big orange arches in the middle of there. And so then they had to start to bring diversity in because all unified, everything exactly the same wasn't acceptable, you know, but he created a huge efficiency by bringing unity into something that was all diverse. And there's this tension and people, Christians have a huge advantage because if they understand God, they should see how he works out in the real world. And that's a huge advantage.
3: And there are people who rail against the idea of the restaurants that are like that as if they're somehow evil. You know, I mean, they like these cookie cutter restaurants and they're all the same and all this stuff. And the truth is, is there's a place for McDonald's in the world. And there's a place for an individual restaurant in the world. And like you're saying is there are There are places where each of those will exist, should exist, and that they demonstrate this aspect of who God is, and we can see it in the world. But whenever you try to say, no, it must be all this one way or all the other way, that you're really fighting against the way God's made the world.
0: I mean, it's really interesting. You look at almost all mature industries. They almost always go down to between three and five companies doesn't matter what the industry is. As they mature, it almost never goes down to one because if you have a monopoly, that's inherently unstable because they'll always try to raise their prices because you have kind of perfect unity and unity is unstable. And you can't have everybody doing different things because that's unstable too. So if you look, mature industries almost always end up with the same number. And it ends up, yeah, sometimes it's five. So it's not a perfect reflection of the trinity, but we're an imperfect reflection in the sense that because of sin, it has effects, but there is just this picture that this repeats itself all over the place in the world.
1: So we're talking about, you know, seeing this reflected in the world, but is there any way to apply this, you know, to your life? If you're starting a restaurant or doing, doing whatever you might be wanting to do. And, you know, is there ways to actually structure it intentionally with this in mind?
0: Oh, like, I mean, I can tell you, At my company we very intentionally do because we do automated software conversion let me put in the ad here (laughs) I'm just kidding but we do automated software conversion but we don't just go well we're going to have one software converter and you have to take whatever comes out of it if you want to take assembler to Java or whatever it is you just have to take the Java that comes out of it we never do that we always customize it to try to balance between those two and all our competitors have gone out of business pretty much and so yeah, I think it's there's practical ways to do it.
3: When you're thinking about it in a general sense, there's just this part of it where, in a sense, the application of wisdom, you can figure out through use, whether this should be something that you should try to rep, whether you should try to make this unified across things, or whether this needs to be a one-off, whether this, needs, whether this really does have unique aspects. And you can see there are people who they stray to one side or the other. I mean, it's very common, like when you go to make something, people don't understand that there's a cost to both things there's a cost to make something be general purpose and there's a cost to do something and customize it and there's an and you can end up putting all your energy into making something general purpose and then only using it in one place You can end up saying, I'm going to make this customized and you end up having to roll it out and customize it a thousand times where you really should have, you know, I mean, and so there is this part of it where by wisdom, that's really how you determine the right way to do these things. And so you can't give someone a general purpose. you in these cases, you should always do it. But This is something that people is a pattern that people consistently fall into. And you can see in yourself whether you were always making, you know, if if your tendency is always to customize and this is where it's costing you time, you should step back and say, wait a minute, you know, am I actually balancing things the way I should appropriately?
0: And I mean, you see this, you know, even in shopping, right? Where people go, oh, you should shop locally. Well, there's a real advantage to having Walmart that produce, that buys such huge quantities and brings stuff over because it's driven down price a lot. But is there also advantage to having local? Yeah, there is. And so I think, you know, in looking at it, say you're opening a store, you should ask yourself, where should I be? Because if all it is is that it's all custom shops and that in that industry there's no unity, somebody's going to rise up that says, hey, we can take over this industry if it's a decent-sized industry. And that may not be a wise choice. As opposed to if all you see is unity, then there's probably real openings to come in and say, well, we have a customized thing that you can get something customized. And so even in looking at markets and evaluating markets, I think it's very practical.
3: It also affects the home. I mean, if you have a big family, there's parts when you have, you know, you have one, two kids, you can make every single meal. You can can make each meal as they come. You start getting three, four, five kids. starts getting a little more difficult. You get six, seven, eight kids, and now each meal becomes this Herculean task. And there's a point where you step back and you go, how do I simplify and streamline the process of making meals? You start going online and you start finding people who have, you know, they have recipes you can cook, you know, cook a couple times a month and set meals aside. And, and you can go so far that now every single meal becomes this, you know, everything arrives in a perfectly rectangular. It's box. Monday, it's spaghetti day. <laughs> right. And, and so there are really practical things where if you're not careful you end up spending all your time spending all your work on just doing some basic things businesses find this all the time when they start growing that they end up realizing that they've got to streamline processes they've got to automate they've got to you know they've got to make things more orderly and so i mean these are things that i don't think there's any area of life where it doesn't touch
0: and i mean i think you know in terms of how it's playing out i think if you look at the united states we're seeing it play out right now because when the Constitution was written, there was a very careful balance between unity and diversity, where you look at the general government, which is how they would have called it, versus the states. And so there was a balance, and certain balances were put in place so that the one constrained the other. And then you know after the Civil War, that really changed. That was a fundamental change after the Civil War, where everything became the general government and the, the local governments, the state, became servants of the general government effectively. And what that means is that, and it took a while, it's taken 150 years, but as it goes, what it keeps doing is that the states have to match what the general government does, what the national government does. And as you look at it, that's causing a real cost. As we look at our nation and look at the problems in our nation, we should just recognize, I mean, look at Roe versus Wade. Look at the national costs that this has. Where you say we're going to unify and we're going to do everything at a national level where there's no diversity, there's no check against that. Where people used to think of the states as being these, you know, these um, laboratories. laboratories of democracy where you could have different states choose different things and people could say what works. We're now saying from Washington they're going to dictate everything.
3: And even the language of the Civil War was union you know I mean when you say it's about the union, i mean there is a there is a philosophical and and deliberate thing to say the focus is on the oneness of the nation, and since the union won, the focus shifted to the oneness of the nation. It was very deliberate and
2: i mean, this may seem like something of a leap, but there in the north in particular, at the time, one of the dominant theological views was Unitarianism, the view that God is one and one only and not many.
0: Right. A lot of it being driven was being driven by the Northeast and the Unitarianism. You look like you were going to say something. Well, I was just
1: wondering, if we're, are we saying that it's good that some states have abortion legal and some have it illegal?
0: No, what we're saying is that if you have diversity— then you can see the judgment of God towards those who have it legalized. You can see the judgment of God when people choose to do things that's against God's will. Not that we shouldn't be arguing that they should do it the right way, that they should do it justly. But I wasn't thinking specifically about abortion. But when we think of all these things— the the question, and I would just argue that, you know, is there a place for the general government to say that no state is is allowed to legalize abortion? Absolutely. That's what the law says. The law is one. You don't have that diversity. But when you look at how nations are ruled and you look at how authority is exercised, you know, should Mississippi exercise authority the same way as Washington state does? They're actually quite a bit different.
3: And even when you get down to the state level, I mean, There are states, I mean, during the coronavirus, there were some states that they handled everything from the state level. It was unified across the state. And there were some states that really left it up much more to local municipalities, to towns and cities and things like that. And like you're saying, I mean, a city has very different needs than a rural community. And so the ones that allowed that, I mean, there's so there's even multiple levels of diversity even within that unity where you've got states and now you've got counties and then within the counties you've got townships and saying that this county can set its regulations and this county can set its regulations because they may have very different needs in specific situations.
0: But if you look at what the general government, what the CDC was trying to do, they were trying to get national laws and national rules so everybody had to do the same thing and that just becomes very dangerous. Right,
3: I remember right right after it happened, um, Walmart had a rule, only one milk. That you, you know i went to the back and you, know, you could only buy one milk and i remember going in and I, I and the sign actually said please only buy one milk and i actually thought well I'm, that must mean they're going to allow for exceptions i put three milks in my cart i went up there and one of the workers came over and took two physically took two of them out of my cart i explained to them i told them i showed them a picture of my family they said you are not allowed to have it i mean and there was just and it was just this top-down rule and i did talk to a manager and the manager was much more reasonable they even said hey this is the this is what corporate pushed down. And they relaxed it shortly thereafter. But it, this is, again, this is swinging between you, just that we're going to make this ironclad rule. We're going to make it fixed. And that's how it is. And you don't think about the fact of, oh, there are places that need more than one milk. And that's a reasonable thing for, you know, for some places to need.
0: And there were a lot of companies like Costco did the same thing where they said every store will require masks. We don't care if the state says that there's not enough of a pandemic to re- warrant masks here. You still have to wear a mask. Right. And those are, you know, those those have real cost to business. But the advantage in business is then other businesses can go and have the diversity to go, we're not going to require you to wear a mask to come in here. Or we're, even if the state requires it, we're not going to enforce it. But when you start to get governments, it works different because they inherently can enforce a monopoly that, that companies can't. And you can even
3: see this in how, within, like we're talking about within the Trinity, about how God relates to, I mean, how the how the Godhead relates to people. Because there's a part of it where God the Father is, everyone looks to God the Father in the sense of like as, this, as one figure. And then the Holy Spirit embodies, comes in and, and dwells among the people, and so it is, you know. I mean, and so there is this part of it where you even see unity and diversity in, in the ministry of, you know, within the way that God interacts with His people and the way that He, you know, works with these mm-hmm. things. And so, I mean, there's just this part of it where it's not just fundamentally to the nature of the Trinity, but it's even to how God describes His working in the world and how God and how these things, you know, how these things play out among the church, you know, within the church.
0: I mean, we look at how the U.S. was founded, and it was founded with. Much more of a biblical worldview. And you consider that with the EU, where the EU kind of looks the same, where you have all these member states, but they weren't, they were intentionally trying to push unity in the things where there was diversity so that they could point to a third party so that they didn't have responsibility. So the EU never created the prosperity that like the early United States did. Because it never got it right, it never understood that the point of having unity is not to say the things that we can't impose, we'll have imposed from Brussels, rather than us doing it because people won't like it if we do it. If we say you have to allow any immigrant to come into the country, well, our people are going to be upset about that, so we'll delegate that power to a central government which is very different the than the delegation what of
3: unpleasant yeah. powers basically.
0: Right. And so it's very different and and even now you look at there's the the protests in the Netherlands by the farmers and the courts are just going, well, we're just enforcing EU policy. EU policy says that we can only put off so much carbon, so we have to cut down the fertilizer and you all have to kill your cattle and and so it's causing like riots over there and they're causing real problems because they weren't trying to have the, the right balance of unity and diversity. They were just trying to say, what we'll do is have a central government impose things on us so that we don't have to actually get the approval of the people.
3: Right. I mean, one of the other things that is true in this is that within unity and diversity, the purpose for it is it's it's an aspect of organization. And an organization is can be about efficiency. And like we've kind of talked about that at different points in here. But I mean, that there's that things are organized in a certain way and that there can be unity in certain areas, there can be diversity in other areas. And it's not, like you said, it's, it's not just token, we're gonna make this area unified and make this area diversified. It's not just that you have to have both, it's that the organization and the balance of it is to achieve
0: a specific purpose. And it's to mirror the, the Godhead. Right. Because God is unified in certain ways and diverse in certain ways, that even reflects itself, right? Because it's unified in the nature of God. It's unified in being truth. It's unified in certain areas in its diversity and service, in what they do. Right? The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. You know, God is the creator of all. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And so the church kind of models that same thing, which is what it says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies according to the effect of working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so in this passage, Paul's writing and saying, here's the unity. The unity is in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everybody's supposed to have the same knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everybody's supposed to grow to have the same understanding of who Christ is. There's not a Christ for Jonathan and a different Christ for me. There's one Christ. There's one truth. right? But yet at the same time, God has given Jonathan, God's given Charles different responsibilities than he's given me. And so each of us have our own roles, but there's unity in very specific things. And the specific thing is the knowledge of Christ. It's, it's truth, is the specific unity that the church is to have. And so when we think about this, you know, so many churches want to go, well, we're all going to do this together, but we'll all agree to disagree. We'll go protest at the abortion clinic together. Well, we don't care if you're Roman Catholic or if you're Mormon or if you're evangelical or if you're, you know, Episcopal, because we're all doing the same thing together. Well, that's actually flipping how God designed it on its head because it's designed that the unity is in truth and in the knowledge of Christ. And there's a diversity of gifts. There's a diversity of responsibilities. And so the unity and diversity isn't just general. You can pick your unity. You can pick your diversity. It's actually very specific.
1: But truth is also pretty detailed. So how do you know what truths you need to be unified on? Because, I mean, it's not, a, I mean, it's not any truth because you, know, the, you can have some level of
0: disagreement. Well, it, it is. It says here the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it's one thing to say that we're that we have a diversity because we haven't grown in our understanding, because God gave some to be apostles, He gave some to be evangelists, He gave some to be prophets, teachers, so that you come to the knowledge of the of Jesus. But when you just say we don't care if we believe in the same Jesus, that's a fundamentally different thing than to say, we have shortcomings in our understanding, but we're working to find who the true Jesus is.
1: It's going to be hard to find people who say, yeah, well, I know I disagree with you, but I will accept the role as the person who's wrong.
0: (laughs) No, no, no. But what I'm saying is you need to then wrestle it out so that you come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Somebody's wrong if you're looking at an evangelical, if you're looking at a Roman Catholic, if you're looking at a Mormon. They all have very fundamentally different views of who Christ is. You can't say that you're unified. But yet, so often, we want to be unified in our work rather than be unified in our knowledge of Christ. And what we should be doing is working towards unity in the knowledge of Christ. That's why he gave teachers. That's why he gave evangelists. That's why he gave prophets. We're supposed to be working for that unity, and not everybody should be doing the same thing.
3: And you can see the church doing this through its history, right? I mean, where, you know, they see it do it with working with Arianism, and you see it doing, working with Pelagianism, and you see it, I mean, there are the different heresies that came up, and people said, this is who God is, and the church said, no, that is not who God is, and this is who God is, no, that is not who God is, and, you know, and so the church is, the church is working as a, you know, together to figure out these things and to come to this knowledge of God, and at the same time, like you said, there there are imperfections, but whenever you like you said i think when you hear someone say well that's your truth and well this is my truth you know that's absolutely fundamentally wrong that you know you can't accept that and and at the same time there are other ones that you'll that will endure for a period of time and they'll come to a head i mean they'll they'll you know i mean like you know there's right now presbyterians and baptists we're walking alongside in certain things and the issue of the issue of infant baptism may end up coming to a head in specific ways. It may end up being that it may come to a head because certain it may end up morphing in one way and move a certain direction and there and people have to make a very specific decision. It may go on for quite another long while. I mean, but these things really do happen and the differences you can't go, they don't matter ever, but you also don't get to go because there are differences, I'm gonna reject anybody who has a difference.
0: And the real issue is, are we designed to come to the knowledge of Christ? And the people who go, yeah, but your Christ is different than my Christ, that's a big problem. And I've just seen those unities in those areas where people then think that they can accomplish things together. And I'll be honest, it just doesn't work. I watch this in Nigeria all the time. There's an organization called you know, Church Association of Nigeria, CON. And they have Baptists. They have Roman Catholics. They have... Equal, which would be kind of Reformed Baptist, um, they have Assemblies of God. They have all these different people that have very different views of who God is, where the people would go, the Baptists over there would go, no, absolutely not, election is wrong. And ECHO would go, no, absolutely, God chooses who, who is saved. But yet they think they can unify, and together that they'll influence the government. And this has been going on for like 30 or 40 years, and they've had zero influence on the government. Like no effect at all because they're unifying on the wrong thing. They're not unifying on the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ. They're unifying in their work, and that just doesn't work because that's not where God tells us to have unity. He tells us to have unity in the knowledge of Christ.
1: But they would also say that they are unifying the knowledge of Christ because they all are Christians and they all worship Christ and they think that they all say that Jesus saved us. So, is, right, so I'm not they're, saying they're right, but that's that. they would be like, yes. We are unifying around Christ. Christ is the important thing. Because we did an episode on Billy Graham, and that was what he was like. Well, we all believe in Jesus, so I can unify with anyone that believes in Jesus.
0: Right. And so part of it, though, is the knowledge of Christ. And where it ends up with is they're saying the word Christ is what we're unifying on, not the knowledge of Christ. Because as soon as you force any of them to define Christ, their definition of Christ is vastly different one to another. And so... It's not just giving lip service to, we're unifying in Christ, like Billy Graham did, where he said, anybody who names the name of Christ is saved. Well, no, it matters what what the name, what his reputation is, who Christ is. And they've rejected that just to embrace the idea of, oh, I've named Christ. But the reality is the power and the strength is the unity that comes from having the same view of who Christ is, the same knowledge of Christ.
3: And when you look at Arminianism and Calvinism in the United States, I mean, so if you look back at you know the Synod of Dort, the Church did talk did deal with the, what they would consider to be the you know different heretical teachings of different aspects of the remonstrance of of Arminianism. But if you come to the United States, there are very few people who are Five Point Arminians. are very and so there's a part of it where you can have people that are much closer together than they were at the Synod of Dort. You know right. what I mean? And so and at the same time, that difference still is very real. And if you try to completely wash over it and say it doesn't matter at all, you get into real problems. But this is what, I mean, it is one of these explanations why if people look at it and you just go, well, can Calvinists and Armenians get along? Well, it's not as simple as everybody wants to make it seem because you can have somebody where their real disagreement is in a much smaller area than it looks like by just calling it this. And you could have somebody else where they say they're, they're, like you're talking about in Nigeria, where they say they're in agreement and they have vastly different views. And so... And I mean, I just think it's it's important to understand what you were saying is the knowledge of Jesus Christ is what matters. And if your knowledge of Jesus Christ is very close to one another, you don't have as much of an issue.
0: And if you say you don't want to talk about who Christ is, you know you don't have unity in knowledge. Right.
3: Right. If that's what you have to if avoid. If that
0: topic becomes off the table, which effectively it is in a lot of these groups where it's like, well, we're going to work since we're working together to overturn back when before it was overturned, we're working together to overturn Roe versus Wade. So evangelical Roman Catholic, we're just not going to talk about our differences about who Christ is. That's a huge red flag that you're not unifying on the things you should be unifying on.
2: I mean, this might seem pedantic, but if in your talking you only talk about Christ and you don't talk about God the Father and you don't talk about the Holy Spirit, then you're going to end up defaulting into some kind of Unitarianism, which is going to mean you're going to end up defaulting you know whether you're talking churches or business or fast food restaurants you're going to start leaning towards unity at the expense of diversity right you know if you only talk about christ and you don't talk about say the work of the holy spirit in the world with how you structure a church you're going to miss something and you're going to you're going to end up with a senior pastor model and you get baptist popes right you know if you start talking about the holy spirit though then all of a sudden the way that you think about church government is going to change
3: right and there's a part of it where i mean you could argue that in the desire not to be charismatic there's been a large section of the baptist church that's kind of that has run away from talking about the work of the holy spirit and they've ignored the holy spirit to our detriment and so that we have you know i mean and and that's a real danger. It's one of the things where we have not focused on this and because of it, there's been a breadth of the of the Christian life that's been really ignored.
0: And and part of that is really fundamental, right? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that will guide you to all truth. So when you ignore the Holy Spirit, you also ignore the things that are supposed to produce unity in Christ. It's right. through the Holy Spirit that you get unity in the knowledge of Christ because he is the one who guides us to all truth, but when the church starts to go, no, the Holy Spirit, don't worry about that. We're just going to focus on Christ, 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 without saying no. The other parts of the Trinity, the other persons of the Trinity, I mean, they're, they're God, right. and they're, they really matter, their roles.
3: So, I mean, another aspect in where you were talking about how the, the unity is in Christ, but the work, there's diversity in the work. And that's even reflected in how that God views us as the body and many members, and that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many.
2: And I mean in a passage like that you just get everything that we're trying to talk about. Here it's talking about Christ, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but it's it's dealing with what what on earthly side on the earthly side is a tension between there's one thing, but it's made up of many parts, but it's one thing and it's it has one function it's aiming towards one goal but not all of the parts are accomplishing that goal by doing the same thing as every other part i mean that would be stupid a hand is not a, an eye and vice versa and it's even important that i mean the so
3: like we said at the beginning you can't compare anything to the trinity and say this is the trinity but even in this case where the church is affected by uh, affected by the trinity and impacted by the fact that god is one many and many the way that is accomplished is through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, through God the Father. In other words, even the way that we can accomplish these things is because God is one and God is many and he is working this out in the world to glorify himself and to demonstrate who he is and to show himself.
0: And what's really key is that, you know, we've talked about like in fast food industry and these other industries and stuff, but if they're to reflect the nature of God, the nature of the Godhead I mean, how much more should the church? And God gives very specific instructions that says the church is supposed to reflect the nature of the Godhead. And so for practical reasons, it's valid to do it outside, like Joshua asked. How do you how does this apply out when you're thinking about starting a business? But let's let's make sure that we're applying it to the church because I think a lot of times the church does not apply that that way. They go and and it's it's at multi levels too. Because there's the idea of the four of us are in church together, and each one of us has different aspects of the ministry we do. But there's also things that Reformation Baptist Church does, like the podcast, that we do together. And so there are things where we take those gifts and do it together. But does that mean every church should have a mission to Nigeria? Every church should be doing the conquering truth? Every ch- No, right. every church is also a member of the wider body, and God gave them— you know, from the most obvious situation, God gave them a, a command to reach out to the community where they're placed. And so every church, you know, we need to think of the broader body that each church also has different ministries that it's been given. You know, Another real important aspect of the Trinity that, that I think causes a lot of problems because it's not being reflected in the world is the idea that you can have authority over somebody without them being inferior to you. Because that is the nature of the Godhead, right? God the Son is just as much God as God the Father. But yet, God the Son is under the authority of God the Father. But that doesn't make him, what's called ontologically, less than the Father. He's equal to the Father. And I think in society, we have a real struggle with understanding that, yeah, women can submit to their own husbands. And that doesn't make them less than their husbands.
3: Right. And it's, I mean, it's, it, when we were talking about that in diversity, there's an aspect of organization. Authority is very much about organization and orderliness as well. That in the end, I mean, and, and it's our sin nature that causes us to stumble over it. I mean, what God says is, is that the one who is greatest among you will be servant of all. And so if you have someone who has great ability to serve, who has great, who has great authority and great capacity, he can use that to serve many people. He can use that, but what we think of is when we get authority is I can use it for myself, but that's a problem with our sin nature. It's not a fundamental problem of authority, and I think there's this part where we think of because power corrupts. Power doesn't corrupt. Power corrupts those who are sinful.
0: Power allows sin to to expand, and it's it's like, you know— it's power like miracle grow growth for sin. but it does, No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Without the sin there, it doesn't right. grow. It's the fact of the matter is if you put somebody in a position of power, which is why you're not supposed to make a novice an elder, is you put them in power and it tends to increase their sin. So unless they've been beaten down to realize before God what a fool they are, you don't want to make them an elder of a church because then it will just puff them up.
3: And people understand in other areas, that being given authority doesn't change their nature. If you get a promotion at work, it doesn't change your nature. You don't all of a sudden. You Some know,
0: people get confused about that, but I know what you mean.
3: right. But I mean, but I mean, they understand that right. The only part of it what changes is their ability to sin, and they might lie to themselves and say their nature changed. But in the end, they know their nature didn't change. Just by conferring authority, you didn't become. You didn't fundamentally become a different type of person. And when you had children, you didn't become a different type of person. Now you have authority over these children. And, I mean, it's, that's really important because in the end, otherwise you end up, this is where we've sinned, is we have projected ourself onto the Godhead. We've actually done the sin that we say we're not supposed to do, is we've said because we're this way, if the Godhead is this way, then that just doesn't work. But without sin, it works perfectly fine. There is no problem. I mean, and, and I mean, we, you said we work in computer programming. I see it all the time where we'll we'll design a system and we'll design these processes that go out and do work. And we'll design the central process that organizes the workers. The central process is not better than the other processes. It's not. It's not superior to them. And we could have designed the system where all the workers did it, but it was more efficient to structure it this way. There were advantages to do it in this way. And so because we did it in this way, there is no ontological superiority between the two and you can see that and you can understand that but then when we go to the godhead we want to take ourselves and project it back onto the godhead and i think that's a real it is a real sin of the church that the godhead does not have our sin nature and we cannot project those things onto god it is sin to do so
0: and so, I mean, I think this is a big problem in the church right now because, you know, we did a podcast on women that, you know, in positions of authority in the church, women that are, are pastors in the church, and how much problems this causes. But this causes a problem because women say, well, if we don't have that role, we're inferior. But that's not what God says. Right? In 1 Corinthians eleven nine through 12, it says, nor was man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. So it starts out by saying that the role of the woman is to serve the man. Which is very, you know, politically incorrect now, but that's what the Word of God says. And that if for this reason, women ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. So God has made it so that every man that you know, he came from a woman, so he's inferior to that woman, So how can you say men are better than women when they all came from women? But yet from the beginning, Eve came from Adam, so woman came from man. so, you know, in terms of the value, the fact that man has authority has nothing to say that the woman has less value than the man. That makes no sense because every man came from a woman.
3: And so if you look at all the gender issues, all the equality issues that we're having, it is man's attempt to solve what God already solved through diversity. God made man and woman different, yet he made them equal. He made them have different roles. He made them equal in ontological value. He made them have different roles. And yet he gave, like you said, where man comes from woman. And God solved it. It was solved. There was there was nothing that was needed to be done. But now our attempt to solve it through absolute functional equality says that women can be men and men can be women. And you can have a, a woman who can, a man who can have a child. And, and now, and now that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. Now a man can come from a man, and a woman can come from a woman, and, a, and now it's, you've lost everything
0: that God designed. And even if we take it back a step to reality, right, because that's just people pretending, right. right? That's just complete pretending. And most of the church wouldn't embrace that, but a lot of the church would embrace, well, yeah, a woman should be allowed to be a pastor. A lot of the visible church, a huge percentage, embraces that idea. But yet that's because they can't say, well, if you're not allowed to be a pastor, that you're not inferior. But you're not inferior just because you can't be a pastor. Why does that make you inferior? God the Son cannot be God the Father. He can't take the role of God the Father, but that doesn't make him inferior to God the Father, except in the authority. He's under the authority of the Father. And so we've created this thing that we, we've made up these rules— that say, if you're under authority, you're less than the one that's in authority. And that's not the point at all. That's not the point of the Godhead. That's not the point of authority. Jesus Christ came, as you said before, to be the servant of all. Well, how did Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, through whom all things were created, how can he be the servant of all then, if the servant's less than the master?
2: I mean, it's sort of this pattern that you go through uh, the whole creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, where generally speaking, what God does is he creates something, he divides it, and then he reassembles it to make something more glorious. You know, he divides the light from the darkness, and then he creates heavenly bodies out of it. And, you know, and, and all the way down, he divides the land from the sea, and, and then he gets to man. And even the language there, I mean, it's it, God names himself. It's like, let us, plural, make man in our image. And so then you get Adam and then Adam gets divided and you get Eve with the whole purpose of bringing them back together to create a whole human race out of that. I mean, and it's just, this is what God thought would be fun. <laughs> I mean, he looks at this and says, this is good. This is good. This is very good. I mean, and it's... and. Everything that we've been talking about here is really something that's flowing out of the character of God, but it's in the way that he made the world. And and because that's so fundamental, we shouldn't be surprised that rebellious man wants to fight it at the fundamentals and not the fringes. Or that that's eventually where the debate's always gonna go.
0: And I mean, that's what happens with the debate with men and women is that if you start to say, well, women are superior to men, Right. Which is basically when you say that women can have children and they can fulfill all the role of men and men can only fulfill the role of men. You're saying women are superior to men. That's that's the bottom line is where it goes to. And so you either go that direction, which becomes insane, or you go the other direction, which says that women are are less than men, that they're inferior, that men, you know, the great patriarch or the great patriarchy where the men just rule with an iron fist the women, and the women are all inferior to men. And that's also ridiculous when you think about it, but that's where sinful man goes. And so the people who are going, well, we should really say that, that women and men are the same. Well, guess what? They're gonna find out that women can't compete on a man's playing field. And so then the women are going to appear to be inferior. And it's not gonna go well for them because it will swing, it always swings. These things swing back and forth. And so we, we go to the point where we're saying all women are superior, and then people are going to go, no, that's not true. I can lift twice as much as she can, and it will shift back. And, you know, the people who are going, we don't want our roles. What we want to do is say that we're f- you want to be on that playing field, you're going to end up losing.
2: I mean, don't underestimate the, the level which people can pervert the, the roles there. There's another option. You know, my wife's expecting a baby right now. And so she's looking at medical forms or something that talk about the birthing parent. And that's really offensive. You know, that's mm-hmm. really offensive to women to talk about the birthing parent as if you want to go along with the charade that men can have babies. It's just, it's not possible. But we have to say it is but it'll collapse
0: because it's it, just so it, ludicrous it, but and I'm not saying in but, a year it might the, be 20 years it might in be the meantime
2: years. we're all going along and we're pretending that something actually absolutely stupid is somehow real is somehow a thing and by doing so we're completely destroying anything that would be actually special about the role of being a woman and having the ability to be a mother
3: I mean, when you talked about women competing on men's playing field, I mean, one of the things that has been going on for a long time, if you watch any television, is there are a lot of scenes where women fight men and, you know, are able to go toe-to-toe <laughs> with them. And it was really interesting because there was a Reddit thread not that long ago I saw where they were asking, and there were, a couple, there were people going, and the question was basically, are men really that much stronger than women? And it was, it was a really interesting thread to read through because, I mean, there were people, there were women, and they are going, oh it's not even funny like you know like I, you know they were like I grew up watching these things and I went to this self-defense class and we took the self-defense class and at the end of the class we asked the guy would you would you actually like f- can we actually kind of fight a little bit with you and actually you know you feel like you've been holding back and she, they said they t- he tossed us around like we were rag dolls I mean and he and he kind of and they said it was really demoralizing in one sense and he kind of told us he goes look the principles I told you they're legitimate principles but a lot of you have this false idea you've watched things where you see this you see a woman go up and just and fight these guys and 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 he's like, it's it's fake. You need to understand that stuff is fake.
1: You better hope a woman's attacking you. Is that the takeaway? Uh, yes. I mean,
3: right, equality. Time out. I would like to request you to swap out I mean, woman on woman. Not her. She's really husky. Let me get you a know, slender build,
0: slender build. You know, yeah. So I don't know how I ended I don't watch much stuff, but I ended up watching this video the other day about two people that won gold medals in women's gymnastics from 2008. And they had a video where they were watching men that were doing women's gymnastics because they don't actually compete head-to-head, right? Women's sport, women's gymnastics are very different than men's gymnastics. They don't gymnastics. Even do the same routines. They don't do the same equipment, right? Their equipment's completely different between men's equipment. So these men were doing it, and they weren't like Olympians that were doing it, the men that were doing it. And these women watching it were going, I tried that, and once I did that in practice – I would never do that in competition. In this like average gymnast is like out average male gymnast is out there doing these female routines. There's a reason why the equipment's different because the women would be clearly seen as inferior in terms of their strength. Right. It's like I tried to do that flip once and I never even you know one of them was like he's doing that easily and I I was so scared I would never even try it because I thought I'd kill myself if I tried it. And this is the beam. I mean, they were doing it on an even bars, all the different gymnastic equipment. And these gold medalists are watching these other gymnasts that aren't gold medalists. And they're going, these men are just so much better. They're in a different category.
2: I have zero interest in defending professional gymnasts or, or the participation in professional gymnastics. But even there with something like that, you can see that there is, there's good reason for having those two different kinds of sets of routines because the men's sets are really emphasizing strength and the women's sets are emphasizing grace and fluidity. You know, they are going for this is the physical strength that your sex has versus the physical strength. I'll tell you what, they
0: were saying they're more fluid than we are too. (laughs) But (laughs) Oh, I'm just saying because of the strength, they were able to do it more with more fluidity than the women could do it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> Fine. Go, if, go go to some, go to, some, but go to yeah. another sport I have no interest in defending, <laughs> um, ice skating. And you can see just the way that those kinds of routines are very different. Right. And that the sorts of things that women excel at and that are, in a sense, judged or are different than the things that the men do, even though they're both on the same ring of ice. Right.
3: And the point of this is, without believing that the Trinity is what the Trinity is, you could come away and men could argue that women are inferior. And they're wrong right you know what I mean if a man says that, I mean and you can go I mean there are religions in the world Islam where women are considered to be inferior to men and where that is the norm and that is the practice where women have to you know they have to walk behind they have
0: to you know they have to veil themselves where I mean just their sons they have to submit to their sons if their sons want to nurse until they're five or six they have to submit whenever their sons tell them and to. this happens in a lot of
3: churches There are a lot of churches who say that my wife, you know, that daughters have to submit to their brothers, which is not scriptural, that that mothers have to submit. There are churches that allow young men in the the household to speak in church and their mothers can't speak. And that's shameful. The mothers can't speak because they're under authority. Guess what? The sons are under authority too. Of
0: those mothers who can't speak. (laughs)
3: Exactly. And so, I mean, and so there are real practices that within the church, the church gets wrong and the church teaches the inferiority of women as opposed to the organization of authority. And and that is, and that is
0: really important. And the Bible is really clear, right? It doesn't say all women are supposed to submit to all men. It does say that women are not allowed to have authority over all men, but there's only one they're supposed to submit to. Colossians three eighteen and 19 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. The relationship is emphasized in multiple places that its wives are supposed to submit to their own husbands. It's not that they submit to any man. I mean, the structure is a picture of the gospel that the church is supposed to submit to Christ. And it can't be that the church also submits to any false god anybody makes up, which is what the picture is when you say women are inferior. You're saying the church should submit to Buddha. The church should submit to to Allah. The church should submit to any god anybody wants to make up because that's kind of the – the picture throughout the Old Testament and so the idea that wives are supposed to be submitting to men is just completely wrong they should submit to their own husband because it's that picture of the order of the Trinity that it reflects itself in the order in the home
1: and I don't disagree with that but it, I mean it's interesting when you look at the Greek and I maybe he I believe Hebrew as well which is that the word for wife and the word for woman is the same and the word for man and the word for husband is the same so,
0: Right. But if you read this,
1: so, I mean, so I mean, the verse is saying, you know, wives submit your husbands, but I no, mean, to your own husband, well, yeah, yeah. the wife submits your own husbands. But, you know, the the uh, way that God made men was as husbands and women as wives. Not that every woman has to submit to every man, but it is intrinsic in the way that God made them. It's not just a role that he, you know, he made men and women. And then he also separately set up this, you know, role as husband and wife. I mean, it's it is very connected.
0: Right, right after he makes Eve, he says, "You know, therefore a, fa- a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife." Right? I mean, it's it's when he makes a woman connected to that is the marriage of Adam and Eve. You can't separate the marriage from the creation of Eve, which I think is kind of your point.
1: Yeah,
3: which is why you can't separate the creation of the church from its marriage to Jesus Christ. I mean, it's I mean, it's these things go. The first existed so that we would understand the second.
2: I mean, you want to talk about marriage. I mean, the whole marriage, just as it's it's laid out, is really a a fabulous exemplification of all of these things that we're talking about. It is this um, you have unity, you have two become one flesh, but they are still two that still have their own individual functions, their own individual roles but they're unified in ways that they aren't just as a man and a woman who pass each other on the street.
0: And to to raise a controversial subject, which is slavery, and this is one of the big problems that people have with the idea of slavery, is because if you don't understand that a slave and a master could be equal and at the same time one could be a master and one could be the slave, then you're going to say slavery is inherently evil because the slave is in a position of inferiority ontologically, that they're less human than the, the master is. And, you know, that's one of the things that happened in the South where you start to develop slavery and people started as you had slavery. And there were white slaves, too, at times. But as it went on and on, it started to become that the blacks were the slaves and the whites were the free. And somehow that got interpreted as that means that the whites are superior to the blacks. And it wasn't just in the south. It was in the north. You know, pretty much across the country, everybody thought that the whites were superior to the, to the blacks because they were usually in authority over them. So when we look at our history, we have to recognize that when you lose this aspect of the Trinity, it causes real societal problems because that's still our civil rights issues today. And some of
3: these things were fundamental to Darwinianism and Darwinian evolution, where I mean one of the real purposes of Darwin's what Darwin sold to the world was the idea that there were races that were superior to other races, that were ontologically superior. So that this race was superior, that the that the that a British man was superior to An you know African the Zulu pygmy. tribe or the African pygmy or the you know that and so that when they went into these colonial situations, they could not just feel like they could subdue them through other means, through economic means or ways where they're you know, but they could actually just They didn't
0: have to treat their lives as meaningful. Right. And I mean, and that's just completely contrary to the teaching of scripture, which is in Acts seventeen, twenty six when Paul's speaking to, to the people of Athens, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. If everybody came from the same blood, that means they're all equal. And so Darwin had to say, you know, this is how each nation came up, that they all came up differently, that they had separate lines, which is why whites are superior to blacks. And God says, no, ontologically, you're all from the same blood. You cannot say that people rejected that teaching and that's where you get racism
3: and b- and because again because we've projected ourselves onto the trinity we've tried to, we have flattened ontological and economic equality and we pretend like we can't tell the difference between the two and so i mean god has made it where there are economic differences in the world there are people who are billionaires who can i mean if they wanted to make my life very difficult they can make my life very difficult in a lot of ways i mean they, you know, they could cause problems for me because they, they have – could keep real...
0: suing you and right. lots I mean, of lawyers to Right. They, could, they you. could
3: buy up property around me and, do, you know, I mean, they could, they could cause real issues for me. But that doesn't mean that ontologically I'm inferior. It doesn't mean under the law I have any less protection. It doesn't mean that my life is worth any less. And because we've kind of just muddled all that together, we've lost the idea that those two things can exist simultaneously.
0: But we should recognize that, you know, and this ties back to abortion and other things, when we start to say that ontologically that the mother is superior to the child in the womb, that's going to flow into other things. Right. Just like you know, the whole view of slavery that, that the master is superior to the, to the slave, not superior in authority, but superior in nature. That creates all kinds of problems in society. We should just recognize when we adopt these things that are blatantly false, They have real long-term effects on the society. This
2: applies, I mean, it applies to the relationships of men and women. It applies to the relationships of masters and slaves. But it also, obviously, it applies to any other kind of authority relationship. Take something as basic as fathers and sons. I mean, you talked about mother and child. But, you know, any kind of parent-child relationship. Luke 20, verses 41 to 44, for example. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So you see Jesus is playing on this problem that we've been dealing with of he's talking to a group of people who can't make this distinction of a a child having some kind of authority over a parent or some kind of superiority over a parent because he says they all they all are willing to admit that the messiah the coming messiah is going to be the son of david and how can a father david in this case call his son lord that's what jesus is saying is he realizes this is a conundrum for them it's not a conundrum for him it's the world he made but that this is the the because they got things confused he can trap them with a statement like this and they're not willing to give him an answer
0: related to that when you think about it right i mean joseph has these dreams and one of the dreams is that you know his father and mother the sun and the moon and the the 11 sheaves or whatever bows down to him and so God was saying from the beginning this would be true that you could have a son that's greater than the father. Right. But yet they're hearing this and going that just can't be. Well, and Jacob
3: kinda, didn't have a fundamental problem with it, but his brother but his his sons did. He
0: was well Jacob wasn't too happy with it, but he still <laughs> kind of went if it's from God it's from God. Right, I mean right. Suppose the brothers went well if we kill him then it won't happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> we can thwart God. And I mean and yeah you know, we kind of go the opposite way because we can't separate authority from ontological value we go therefore since my son has the same ontological value that i have i can't tell him no i can't exercise authority and that's kind of like where our society has gotten where parents are going well he's the same as i am so how could i exercise authority And then you get children run households and you get mess and you get the idea that children shouldn't be constrained and let them go their own way. And whatever they feel good about doing, that's what you should let them do. And I mean, it's destroying our society because we've lost this view of what the Trinity looks like. And
3: at the same time, in church, you can see this working out of their equality in communion where you can have, you know, Jonathan, you have a son who is, is a communicant member and when it comes to communion and the two of you take communion side by side you do not take communion as father and son but you take it as brothers and there is a reality i mean so the church is recognizing the spiritual reality of you being a brother to your son you don't have the authority to excommunicate him from the table you don't have you know what i mean and there's just there's just this real there's this real recognition of something that's very different and at the same time you still have authority over your son and so i mean you can you can see where these things play out and if but but the society like i said the society keeps tripping over the reality of this but the church trips over it in the opposite direction because there are lots of churches where the father distributes the elements to the family or the father is like the priest of the family as opposed to him and his son coming to church together as equals in christ
0: or they do the opposite where they'll have you know they'll have youth day where a 12 year old goes up and preaches where you're saying that Just because he's a child in his parents' household, just because he doesn't know anything, well, he's equal with everybody else. So you got to—I mean, there's a lot of churches that do youth day and have fools stand in the pulpit. Right. And that is not a good thing. But they—because they don't understand the Trinity, they think it is. There's a lot more we could say on this subject, because what we really should be thinking about how the nature of the Godhead applies to the world that God created— We specifically talked about two ways where you have diversity and unity and you have authority where you don't have inferiority. We should just recognize that because people are at war with God, they reject how God created the world. But as Christians, we should be deliberate to live in the world that God created and recognize the things in the world as God created them and as God ordered them. So we should see the the Godhead, the nature of it all around us. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online
3: at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app.
0: Thanks for watching.